Hello and welcome to Politics in the Pulpit. This is a lecturing-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether, and if so, how, politics should appear in our preaching this week. Each week I'm joined by a guest from a different place or space on the political or preaching landscape. And this week I have the joy to introduce our very own new team leader, who is Simeon Mitchell and hopefully going to appear on screen. Simeon, it's really great to have you with us today. Um, uh, Hello, nice to see you Beth. And you are also a preacher, uh, as well as our team leader. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about you and um, uh, a bit about what politics in the pulpit might mean for you and your context and, and your thinking. Mm. Well, it's, it's great to be here and um, thank you for this uh, brilliant uh, resource. I have been following uh, each week's episode really um, closely and drawn on quite a lot of the ideas as I've been preaching over the last few weeks. So I'm really glad uh, to be to be um, part of this. I have been preaching for probably 20 years now, which makes me feel very old. Um, uh, but I guess I've been political for even longer. And I guess I my my my. Um, my outlook on on life and on the world uh, was, was formed, uh, you know, very early with with kind of a sense that the political world was a, a significant one to engage in, and the way that um, we should be trying to shape shape the world. Uh, and as my faith grew and my political interests grew, those two things aligned, uh, and uh, I I find it hard to preach in a way that's not political. I think uh, and some of my congregations might uh, might complain uh, about that thought uh, or um, or. Uh, actively avoid the Sundays when I'm preaching if they don't want to hear a political message. But uh, for me, the political and the theological are uh, intimately entwined. Uh, and uh, so uh, politics in the pulpit for me is not a controversial uh, topic and not a controversial title for this uh, for this um, podcast. Because uh, for me, the gospel is political. Uh, Christianity is political. Uh, the call to the kingdom is political. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that, that's 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 my approach to, to the overall thing. We're um, so we work as joint public issues team. Uh, it's an ecumenical collection of of different churches working together um, to put faith in the public square. Um, I wonder from from our I usually would say from my JPIT colleagues' experience and and their perspective. And you're one of my JPIT colleagues, so I, I wonder what would you bring from our context and the and the work that we're doing. Um, and the thinking that we've got going on in the background, what, what would you want to highlight as key justice issues or, or areas that you want people to be aware of as they're starting to open up their Bibles this week? Well, um, the Joint Public Issues team, as you say, Beth, uh, is three three churches working together, the Baptists and the Methodists, the United Reformed Church, and we come together around um, what we call six hopes for society, six hopes for the way that um, uh, we believe that, that the world should be. Um, their hopes uh, around um, putting the poorest and the most marginalised at the centre, uh, around actively working for peace, around renewing our, our um, Earth's environment, uh, around uh, building an economy uh, that enables the flourishing of all life, uh, human life and, and uh, the, the life of, of creation as well. Uh, around a politics that uh, enables um, listening and truth uh, and uh, kindness to be values at the heart of that, and also a, a society that uh, follows that biblical mandate to welcome the stranger. So we work across those six areas, and I think um, as, as we come to, to the text for this week and the things in our minds, there are things across all of those areas that, that uh, colleagues and I would 
probably want to pick up on. Um, I, I think uh, for those of us who are politically inclined, the, the last few days we've been reflecting on the results of the elections that have taken place in all sorts of um, jurisdictions of the, of the UK uh, for, for various uh, roles, whether that's the Scottish Parliament, the World Senate, uh, the local elections in England, uh, and the Police and Crime Commissioner elections, and the mayoral elections, and the uh, um, the by-election in Hartlepool as well, and, and I think uh, the political world has been poring over those results, trying to uh, read the significance of them. Um, uh, and I guess I'm interested in what they show about the society we're in, but also uh, where they will therefore lead the conversations that we'll have over the coming months and years about uh, what we want for our country and uh, what we want for our society and our communities. It feels we're at, at quite a, a pivotal moment um, as we begin to emerge from the um, from the restrictions of the pandemic, uh, congregations will be looking forward, I think, to next Monday, the next stage of the uh, release from the lockdown in England, at least, um, and the gradual opening up of society. And that brings, you know, personal decisions about what levels of contact we might want to have with each other. But I think it also opens up questions um, about what kind of uh, society we want to build after this this horrific 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 experience that we've all shared in different ways over the last year 18 months which has revealed so many um, disparities and injustices in society also highlighted uh, a lot of the ways that communities can pull together and uh, the the impact of um, of government action and of uh, uh, initiatives that uh, seek to look out for those who are vulnerable. Um, we, if we can do that in times of crisis, we can surely do that also uh, as, we, as we enter a new normal times, uh, as we look to how we address crises such as uh, the climate crisis, the climate emergency, as we look at this, the scourge of, of poverty and inequality in our country, uh, there are things that surely we can hold on to from, from this time um, and, and build on. Absolutely. Yeah. So, of course, it's the, there will be Queen's speech tomorrow. So we'll find out what the government have planned for us um, on the 11th of May. So this will be time to I say tomorrow, but actually this will be coming out on the 11th of May. So um, we record these on Mondays normally um, and and they come out on Tuesday. So um, we'll be finding out what's what what they have uh, got going on in, par in Parliament. Um, so we've got Christian Aid Week as well um, this week, uh, 9th to the 15th. So that's happening. Um, it's uh, there are widespread protests in Colombia about economic and tax reform. And of course, um, there's a lot of unrest in Jerusalem at the moment um, going on uh, and the very complicated conversations there around Palestine and um, settlements and um, all that is in there. And our different churches have taken different stances on that. I'm very aware for them. Um, these are, you know, deep uh, moments of unrest and in a space that's very comes up in our biblical text a lot um so we've also got um two, we've been supporting um two initiatives around making refugees welcome that you mentioned um as part of our hopes um so there was a letter signed by 70 faith leaders on the new plan for immigration and there's a new alliance of around 100 organizations standing together with refugees in the uk so there's maybe some of the things that are kind of in our in our worldview, as we come come to scripture as well, um, and and we we're bringing all of these things, and we're saying these things matter as we come to scripture. Um, this is the world that we're in as disciples, and we want um, we want we want us to be about 
hoping for this change. So we come to scripture um, with our with our newspapers open and um, and um, Sunday the 16th of May and um, we've got um, the gospel is John 17 and then we've got Acts 1 15 to 17 and then a jump to 21 and then all the way through to verse 26 um, and then we've got 1 John 5 9 to 13. Um, I know you've had a chance to have a quick look at some of these. Um, I wonder have has anything, a particular theme or a particular passage jumped out to you that you think this is where I would be going if I was preaching this week? Mm. Well, it's, it's really interesting. Um, uh, elections is one of the things that jumps out at me and, and also leadership. Um, and, and obviously the, the Acts passage is um, the disciples are uh, seeking to appoint a, a 12th apostle uh, uh, and to replace Judas uh, and the process they went through to uh, discern who that person should be a really interesting one. Uh, that person had to be someone who had witnessed uh, the resurrection, who could therefore testify um, from, from the heart of, and uh, from, from direct experience about that. But then they cast lots. They cast lots because there were two candidates. Uh, and uh, you know, what an interesting way to make such a significant decision. Um, and it, it made me think about our electoral systems. Uh, we've seen over the last week or so, you know, a variety of electoral systems in operation around the country um, where um, different levels of, kind of input and votes result in different outcomes. Um, none of them are perfect. And I think it's quite interesting to see that um, the disciples too were struggling with an, an imperfect way of resolving a question of leadership. Uh, so I was I was quite interested to, to read that. Uh, I was quite interested in in Matthias, the the uh, the twelfth uh, apostle uh, who was appointed. Um, reading up on him, nothing more is said about him in scripture. Uh, so we don't know what his journey was. I mean, it must have been quite a strange thing to join this established band of of um, people who've been with Jesus, with Jesus since the start uh, as an apostle. Um, uh, a great kind of responsibility, a great a great mantle, but we, we don't we're not told what he did next uh, how that panned out for him um, yeah and especially because we um we have this middle bit cut out this week don't we so we i it sort of skips from verse 17 to verse 21 um and if you actually read the whole thing through you get this really gory description of what happens with judas and this conversation is going on in the middle of like betrayal and pain and this is what it feels like when it all goes wrong and they're really you know it's it's ghastly and and this kind of whole conversation of like not only are you coming in Matthias to, <laughs> to take on this role but you're coming into a situation which is um you know your predecessor <laughs> may not have not have really accomplished in the way that what 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 was seen to be hopeful um and um I think it's so I think it was so I think that's really interesting I think it's interesting that they've taken the editorial position to kind of um take that bit out of the lectionary itself I think that's a, a fascinating call because obviously that's not actually what Axe does for us um but I think yeah so so we have this kind of like oh yeah we should have we should have a replacement but what we'll do is we'll tell you all about the person that we didn't elect because <laughs> he, got, he got like quite a lot doesn't he Joseph called the Sabbath who was mm. justice. so we know quite a lot about him because he's got lots of names but we only have one name for Matthias and then and then into that you've got um yeah and then you've got the kind of all the stuff that's gone on with Judas in the background but it's it's interesting instead of saying oh well we'll have two 
where I've got these two qualified men who could join in, right? Um, they've actually decided they're going to stick with this 12 and the 12 itself clearly being so symbolic um, as a number from, from what has been before um, the tribes of Israel. And this is kind of continuity. No, no, it needs to be 12. There's something about these 12 that that, that stand together at this point um, as well. There's, I think there's, I think there's so much going on there about, like you say, about how do you discern what the right numbers of leaders are, what the, how how that should be representative of its community or or not, and clearly here the biblical number twelve has um, really been emphasised. But also the, the the other thing that strikes me is that the challenge of of taking on that leadership role, as you say, uh, the precedent isn't good as to what might happen to you uh, in this in this role. And the, the church was, you know, the, the earliest days of the, of the Jesus movement. Um, wasn't an easy place to be there was so many challenges so um, I, I wonder how um, uh, reluctantly or willingly uh, these two men allowed their names to go forward and and whether the one that wasn't chosen felt a sense of um, disappointment or, or relief uh, and I contrast that with people who have put themselves forward for political office over the last few weeks um, and maybe we're getting to the point where um, uh, that they're, they're, they're delighted perhaps at being elected but perhaps the responsibilities of that choice that they've made are also dawning on them and, and the burden of, of those uh, leadership choices is falling on them because now it's not about the popularity contest, it's about actually delivering on, on the things that you've promised and showing, um, navigating leadership in this really hard times. And I think everyone who is in leadership roles at the moment, uh, whether that's in the church or in politics or in, um, uh, business or you know all, all walks of life it's been a really difficult time to be a leader because the context has been shifting so rapidly there are new challenges um, and and that always creates um, creates difficulty for leaders some some thrive in that situation but I think for many it has been a, a time when responsibilities have weighed heavily uh, upon them uh, and as I think it will uh, would for Matthias at the, <laughs> at the point at which we, uh, we we don't see him any longer um, in this in this reading. Uh, and I think that connects to me to some of the things that are uh, in the other two readings that we're looking at uh, today, Beth, um, uh, about what what it might mean uh, to be to be a, a, a witness to the resurrection. That was the criteria, wasn't it, for for selecting uh, the, the the new apostle? Um, and I think the the letter one John uh, talks of of um, testimonies and and those who bring testimonies, human testimonies. But of course, human testimonies are really only um, significant in as much as they point to God's testimony and the, the revelation of God. Uh, and uh, the, the, the um, testimonies that point to life, uh, point to life in Jesus, the eternal life. And that being something that people can know now, not just something for the future, but we are um, through that revelation uh, experiencing eternal life from the here and now and that begins in this moment and I think that for me connects to that thought about the, the kingdom uh, the kingdom being beginning in the here and now as well uh, and uh, people who can start to point out the kingdom uh, start to build the kingdom in whatever space they're in in whatever context they're in which is actually a calling for, for all of us uh, not only those who have been chosen as apostles but for all of us to point to um, those things which which point to the life of God I think 
yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it, that the, the only criteria is this kind of faithfulness to this um, and being a witness to this like long, wide story. You know, have they been there from the beginning? Are they still here now as a kind of test of character? And then the rest is kind of allotted to this kind of very strange, you know, we'll just throw it as lots. And then into one John, then this language of witness again, which is so obviously the word martyr. And we, we kind of miss that in English. But there's this clear, like you, like you say about the kind of, what's the precedent, you know, what's this going to cost? Um, and actually the language of martyrdom here is quite key, that actually this might be a costly witness, um, that witnessing might, by its very nature, mean some sort of sacrifice. And um, and I think, that, um, I think that's kind of a telling warning, isn't it, in the gospel? <laughs> you know, there's this sacrificial language here. We're going to be witnesses to this. We might be asked to, asked to make some really hard decisions. Um, yeah, and I think also um, picking up on what you were saying about whether it's just those in kind of official leadership roles, but um, um, in if we if we start moving into the gospel, I think there's something about the idea of, of consecration and sanctification that's right at the end of John, and um, and that 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 consecration or sanctification when John was written would have been for for priests and for prophets and. Um, and I think uh, we both come from church traditions that would really hold this idea that um, a prophetic and priestly ministry is one that is shared by the whole priesthood of believers, that actually we we are all called into this consecration and all called into this sanctification of being prophetic people and to, to see what could be changed, you know, to look into what is and say what could be. And actually that we all have a role in that. Um, and I think um, I think if I was going to talk about leadership, I think I would also really want to talk about this idea that we are we're all called to lead um, in our world in that way. Absolutely. I, I also picked up on that that phrase um, to be sanctified in truth, which I think is repeated twice in, in Jesus's um, prayer uh, there in the gospel reading. And I was thinking, what what does it mean to be sanctified in truth in in our current situation, truth has become something of a, a fluid concept. And we talk about being in a post-truth society and uh, uh, a political world where there is fake news and a lot of argument about what truth might actually be. But this is a call to, to hold true to that uh, uh, thing, but not only hold true to it, but, but um, to be sanctified in it, sanctified, made holy uh, with truth. Um, I come from a Methodist tradition uh, and uh, John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism, said there's no holiness that is not social holiness. So we discover the truth in our relationship with each other. We discover the truth about God in how we relate to each other in society, in our um, own context. Uh, and I think that's uh, another message that I would probably draw out from, from this reading uh, if, if I were preaching on this uh, this coming Sunday uh, about what truths do we learn about society um, from the relationships we have and the communities that we're in. Um, and also linking to that question about witnesses, testimonies, whose voices are we listening to in society to hear the truth about the way things are? Whose voices uh, do we listen to to hear what God is saying or what God might be doing uh, within our world, within our society? And I think you know, that would connect to, to other things in other parts of the gospel about um, whether we listen to the hungry and the thirsty in our world uh, and there meet Jesus. You know, where, where are we hearing? Where are we listening uh, in our society? Which voices are we listening to? Uh, and what truths do they point us to? It's, it's so interesting that the, the, the sanctify them in the truth 
thing that's said twice. Um, it lay bookend this bit in the middle that says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And I think one of the conversations we have a lot as, as Christians, especially um, in the churches, what does it mean to be in the world? <laughs> what, what does that look like? And, and how much should we be in the world in the right kind of ways? And um, and sometimes I've met this in a um, in a way that can be quite dismissive of the world. Like we're not of that, we're not of the world. We're somehow, um, and therefore we can kind of destroy the world or we can be almost a bit flippant about its um, future. And certainly in our kind of, you know, conversations around climate and and what's going to happen to the you know to this earth that we've been given. Um, actually, people be kind of like, oh well, we kind of you know don't almost not that we kind of can dispose of it, but kind of almost that is kind of you know it's a temporary thing, and we're not of the world. Um, but actually, I think it's very interesting. The language is not of earth; it's very much of of world. And actually, I would want to say that's something about power structures and the political stuff. I would want to say not being not of the world but going into it is about saying, how do we act as people who who name the fact that the, it's not the Hungary's voices that change um, our government's policies potentially on who gets fed? And actually, um, what does it mean to go into worlds with patriarchy and with, um, you know, kind of racism and all of the stuff that is built into the structures of how we do politics? Actually need challenging and dismantling and, and us to be prophetic people that call out a different way of, of being and I think um, that's kind of one of the challenges I see for the church is actually if we're sent into the world then we have to call this stuff out to the world and um, this is what it is to be speaking truth. Mm. Personally I've always struggled with this stuff about not being in the world but of the world uh, I think because I feel very worldly I feel very you know material very uh, kind of um, bound into to, um, to, to, to the everyday I guess and, and I, I think I struggled to separate myself from that and uh, acknowledge that in, in myself so when I read this I was I was slightly heartened to, to read it wasn't a, an instruction to the disciples to not be of the world it was a almost a protective thing from Jesus saying these these precious things have something that's special that's not the same as the rest of the world, uh, and it, it was a prayer for for protection and for safety around those uh, those uh, I guess who seek to carry the light of God and the uh, as you say the the, the prophetic tradition um, with them, um, uh, and yes. I think it's almost that. Sorry, can, can, no, no, no. I was gonna, it makes me think of that bit where Jesus says, um, the bit about uh, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, I do not give as the world gives. That actually, there's something about you know, this is a gift, it's a gift to, to, to be able to, to step slightly outside of um, an infrastructure, a way of being that we are so intrinsically connected to. And that doesn't mean disconnecting ourselves from nature, in fact, probably the opposite, actually. <laughs> it's probably about really understanding our, our place within it. Um, and actually, I, I, yeah, I can't, so I guess I kind of think, you know, it's a gift. It's a gift, a revelation. Um, you know, this is this is what it is. It's part of grace to be able to, um, to be able to call out the norms and to call out um, the situations that we are so socialized, we don't know our own socialization, we can't, um, um, but maybe grace just sometimes uh, gifts us that little bit of space to be able to say, oh, but actually I'm in a church with somebody for whom this experience is this, and that would normally be set up against me as the other, 
But in this situation, it gives me a unique relational insight into something that means I can hear you not as the other, but as as beloved. And actually, we can do something with this. Um, and that can change me fundamentally in my core. And that's where grace can start working out um, in us. Sorry, I interrupted you as well. So you carry. <laughs> you carry on. No, I've lost, I lost the thread of my thought because I was so uh, enraptured by, uh, by yours, Beth. So. <laughs> But I, I think that's um, perhaps, I mean, the language of, of this um, John's passage, I mean, it's a prayer as well, isn't it? It's, it's, it's mm. a prayer. So what we're listening into is is um, is not a speech or a political rally or, or kind of, uh, you know, Jesus's kind of commission is so much, although it is quite commission, quite commissional prayer, but it's it is a prayer first. And um, and this is the prayer that Jesus is is praying to, to God and we get to eavesdrop into that mm. prayer. And um, and I think um, I think I think that's interesting. It it's made me wonder a little bit about how I would go about preaching it because um, I think I often try to do what the text is doing as well as say what the text is saying. And I wonder how we might pray it for our people as we're preaching. You know, as we and pray it for ourselves as we're preaching. Um, you know, how do how do we pray these things into being? And perhaps. Um, I may maybe that's just about working really closely with the intercessions you've got this week. But I think, you know, politically, uh, a kind of pulpity, I want to say this, these things, you know, how do we how do we use this prayerfully? How do we how do we make the sermon prayerful? How do we invite people into that? Eve's dropping into a conversation with Jesus and the father saying, I want this protection for people. I want them to be sanctified and set apart and able to see the chinks of where grace is moving in the world. Um, I don't have a good answer to that, but I think that would be the question I'd be holding in my mind as mm. I was preparing. Um, what's it, how, does, how do we pray this as well as uh, as we preach it? I think for me, this is where the, the essence of the good news of this gospel is, is that, that Jesus is praying for us as we do these things, as we as we take up this um, this challenging calling this difficult calling, uh, which we know and Jesus acknowledges in, uh, you know, is going to be tough. Um, but we know that, that Jesus is there rooting for us and is praying for us and is uh, there with, with, with God, um, seeking, uh, seeking to keep us safe in that difficult task. Uh, and I think that would be the message I would want to try and get over to people uh, because that gives some an element of, of courage and of confidence uh, and and um, I think is reassuring to people and you know that we're, we're also sort of thinking about the, um, the easing of, of lockdown restrictions and I think that people will be approaching those with, with varying levels of anxiety and uncertainty as well and, and a prayer for safety a prayer for protection I think would also be a very welcome uh, you know, message uh, on on this Sunday before that happens in England um, as well, and I was I was struck what, by uh, by thinking about what you know what what do people um, what might people need to help them to re-engage with their neighbours with society as well, and um, prayer for safety seems an appropriate place to be in, on that on this Sunday as well. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah, and the, you know that. That Jesus is praying that intercession to God. That it's not on our our own strength and internal robustness, which actually at the moment might be feeling fairly depleted. Um, but this this idea of the name of God, um, if that goes through John as well. Um, you know, I've made your name known, and in this name has I, I think we miss 
Then the idea that a name is as revealing character or um, a name is a source of power. I think um, may maybe we get the name as a source of power a little bit still. Um, but but if you have one of those fridge magnets that has ever told you what your name meant in its original like language, <laughs> and you know um, you know I think I heard it's like Alishba meaning oath of God or something. And um, and so there's this whole thing that you get about kind of where it's come from and what it means. But like people would have you know these names would have mattered in a in a way that I think we we miss um there's a really um brilliant kate coleman um uh phd actually i think and then she's also written um a lecture um on it about being human and this idea of naming and, and what we can hear from naming um uh from from a kind of post-colonial kind of critical perspective um and saying actually naming and um other cultures has this way of creating your identity and and your your role and your power and um and that's really I'd recommend just looking up because it's fascinating <laughs> theology but um but it's um also I think here I think it says something about naming the you know the name of God and the name of the Father being something that gives a you know is is given as a source of power and a source of enablement and a and a, and a declaration about something um, that even in the Mr. Pad, there's this deep, deep relational love of God with uh, with Christ and with us as a result, like we're invited into this and it's saying to us something about how we are held um, and, and it revealing this nature of God to us. Um, so I think, yeah, kind of the good news, obviously not just being about kind of what we think we can go and do in the world and be in the world, but what is God already doing? Where is God already at work? Um, how is God already revealing God's self in the community that you are in through all of what lockdown has been and all the hardships? Where has God still been bringing good out? And where is God going to be bringing you into good in the future? I think that's, um, yeah, where we could maybe go with that. Um. We're going to, I think we're going to probably start wrapping up. I'm keeping an eye on the clock and uh, we try and give people just half an hour of our um, our thoughts and our questions. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to add or, or think about, reflect on, about, to know anything else you'd want us to say or hear before we go? Um, uh, we've we've gone through all the things that um, immediately occurred to me as I looked at these at uh, these readings and um, no thank you uh, I think my name um, means listener so I, I think it probably is time for me to to shut up <laughs> and I think that what we perhaps would like to say as JP is that we are here to listen to churches and we really want to hear um, if there are things we are not hearing we always want to because that's our job as churches we think we're uniquely capable of hearing we have presences in every community we are part of that wide-ranging faithful long story of witness to community and actually that's one of the things that we can then be as we go and speak uh kind of truth to power uh, in in Westminster or uh, or or in in other devolved governments of choice um and that actually these are the spaces in which you know churches really do have capacity and strength to um, say there is another way there is there is a, a way to be grace here yeah. definitely um so anyway Simeon, thank you so much for coming on um yeah, pleasure. Thank you. introducing yourself in a new way um you've been a member of the team for a long long time but um but to show yourself in this new in this new role um to to everyone who's in and watching or listening 
Um, and thank you to our listeners for all your feedback and encouragement and um, for sharing us. Uh, please do um, share us, like us, um, or if you think there's people you'd like to hear from as political pulpit voices that you'd love us to in um, invite on, let us know and get in touch. Um, we want to hear that too. We've um, got we've got quite a few planned in now, but we would really like um, any more suggestions, uh, especially if there's a voice you know that perhaps may not be on a national platform yet, but you think would be brilliant. Uh, we would love to hear that. Um, so uh, as we go into our weeks, um, as we go to prepare sermons or as we go to be political in the world in all sorts of different ways as followers as followers of Jesus, let us pray. May we be anointed with God's spirit as we bring good news to the poor. Proclaim release to the captives. Help people to see the world truthfully and let the oppressed go free. Amen. Amen.